Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. So welcome to CTO Confessions, David. It's great to have you on board, sir. Excellent. Thanks for having me, TC. So Brilliant. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? So I am David King. I am the Chief Technology Officer at Flywire. Uh, and what Flywire is, uh, we are a global payments company. Uh, we deliver on most uh, life's most important and complex payments throughout the world. So that's Brilliant. what we focus on. Excellent. And we'll kind of go into a little bit more detail on that in a second. Uh, but I'm really curious about your journey to becoming a CTO. What was that like? Uh, so I think I have a, I think everyone's had an interesting journey. Uh, I did not set off with the intent to become a CTO. So uh, my background is actually I am a physicist and mathematician. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, so I was uh, planning to be an academe most of my life. So I was, uh, the, the story goes, I was uh, working on my PhD. I was nearing the end of my PhD, happened to be at Florida State University. Uh, and one day I woke up and said, uh, I've solved Schrodinger's equation one too many times. Uh, <laughs> I kind of had that 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 graduate student breakdown, for, for for lack of better words, and <clears throat> told my advisor, I was like, I'm going to take a break, uh, take a semester off, and I may come back, I may not come back. Yeah. Uh, so I, I left, and uh, while I was, I was like, well, what the hell am I going to do? Uh, and what I had my my uh, what I was working on for my PhD was computational physics. Right. So I was never trained classically as an engineer or a programmer. I was all self-taught, uh, but I did a ton of programming for, for my, my, my physics work. Uh, what I worked on is like working on uh, next uh, modeling atoms and their interactions, right? Uh, yes. So I was self-taught in Fortran and, and kind of grew from there. So when I left, I started looking through the newspapers saying like, what, what's a non-PhD, almost PhD physics student going to do in the world? Uh, and I started seeing all these uh, job offers for uh, Oracle DBA. And I was like, mm. what the hell is an Oracle DBA, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so quickly went uh, to, to libraries because uh, the internet didn't quite exist then, right? And, wow. and read everything I could about becoming an Oracle DBA. And that, that was the start of my journey was, was uh, getting certified and becoming an Oracle DBA. Uh, from there, uh, I just grew and, and learned more languages, more technology, uh, became a consultant and ran around and, and did consulting work, kind of work for hire hit. Sure. Um, and then uh, decided to launch my own business uh, in, in 1997, uh, started off. And that's when I became a CTO. Uh, so I partnered up with someone. Uh, we actually created the first online billing payment and payment plan system for higher education here in the United States. Right. Uh, you can imagine trying to do web technology in 1997 that was interactive. It was a little rough, right? Uh, it was pretty much all focused towards static content, right? It was fancy if you had hyperlinks, but we were doing online payments in, in 1997. Wow. Um, yeah. so that, that started my, my journey into being a CTO. Uh, I was the CTO of the company. Uh, started off rough. You know, you, you take the title of a CTO and you were never trained. You were just a consultant before. So I had a lot of, a lot of mistakes and a lot of learning throughout, throughout the, the years. Uh, and then, but I stayed in that role as I grew that company, sold that company off, started a few others. And, and, uh, and I've been at Flywire now since uh, 2018. So. Excellent. I, when you can describe this kind of uh, being thrown in the deep end, you know, uh, yeah. uh, becoming a CTO. I mean, what, what was the... Um, 
some of the mistakes I've made in my past have been some of the defining moments of me, you know, the kind of bringing it. What, what, were, the, what were the ones that were the biggest lesson learners for you? Uh, let's see. Some of the, you know, one is uh, learning, you know, I think as moving from an individual contributor into a leader, uh, and I had been an individual contributor my entire life, and then suddenly I threw myself into leadership with no leadership training. So learning to delegate to trust, to, to not solve every problem yeah. uh, and, and have the faith in your team and grow a team, like made tons of mistakes doing that. Yeah. Uh, I was notorious in the early days for get out of my way. Let me just do this. Uh, uh, and, and that's, that's not how you grow a company. That's not how you grow a team, but I didn't have the appropriate training. So I really was, you know, on the job learning. Yes, that's right. Uh, those are some and, big mistakes. And what facilitate that learning? You, I mean, obviously you've kind of shifted and you've become uh, a better bigger you know more uh, better leader what 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 was the uh a catalyst for that shift uh i mean outside of feedback from from the team right yes <laughs> lucky i had always had good teams so they gave me honest feedback about uh, about being too involved uh but i think you know the key thing is you start to as the businesses started to grow i was like there's no way i can continue to grow and scale like if I'm the one doing it all or thinking this is all going to lean on me, like failure is inevitable because I just can't carry the load. And so learning, learning and realizing that. And then that's when you start to realize you have to have the trust and to scale the company and be successful for everyone. Uh, you have to scale and trust the entire team. So. That's right. And I'm curious around uh, the, the big thing in my uh, work and, and the teams we have here at ITABS is uh, agile. I mean, is it, was that, when that kind of emerged in your kind of journey, what was that like uh, to see that? Was it something you thought, well, this is going to, this is going to be big and this is what we're already doing. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting, right? Cause when if you go roll back, right. Agile came out in the two thousands ish. Right. And before yeah. that, everything was, was pretty waterfall uh, oriented. Um, I would say we didn't know we were doing agile, but we were doing agile. Like we, didn't, we didn't have a, a, a definition of it. Uh, you know, in the early days of the business, we were waterfosh, but we knew that wasn't working for us, right? Because we were interacting heavy with our clients. We were pioneering a new, a new product into a new market, and we knew we didn't know it all. Yeah. So we interact with our clients, and so we we figured out a way. Like we need to deliver and iterate faster. Like that was that was our core mantra. And yes. we knew Waterfall didn't meet it. So we just started adopting, like, let's release it as fast as possible. Let's, you know, engage our customers. Let's do things small and get feedback and grow uh, rather than a, than a big bang theory, for, for lack of better words. So, you know, I wouldn't have named it Agile, but that's what it ended up being. We were just, yes. you know, similar, similar practices that we just, you know, evolved on our own in in order to go fast so that's brilliant yeah I, I've, I've heard uh, other people kind of saying well we're kind of doing that i mean you hear it in uh, other other areas as well for example people in the uh, forces you know they're very yeah. agile they're very iterative they're very kind of uh, in fact we were talking to one around the ooda loop you know they kind of observe uh, orientate uh, decide and then uh, act uh, so yeah. yeah i mean that's very agile as well so coming on to your company then david yeah. flywire What's the problem that it's solving the market? Sure. So uh, let me walk you through the, the Flywire journey from, from day one, because it's a really, really interesting story. Um, so our roots are solving cross-border payments for international students. Um, and, and the original use case was international students coming into the United States. Uh, so our founder was, was uh, a Spaniard that was coming to study at, at a large uh, prestigious institution in Boston. 
And there was really no good way to, to pay the school, right? So it was bank transfers, very, very cumbersome, right? Yeah. And what happens through the current, or uh, through that, at that time, the, the way to pay a cross-border transaction, a lot of hands touch it and everyone takes a piece of it uh, out of the pie. And then there's no metadata that goes with the transaction, right? So let's say the, the university billed the individual $10,000, so first of all, the, the students getting billed in USD, but their currency is euros. So they've got to think and do and work with their bank to do all the conversions. Everyone takes a piece out, no metadata with it. And then what ends up landing in the school's bank account is like $9,975 and some pennies, yes. right? And no information about it. So the dollar amount, lack of information, doesn't match anything they build. And they're like, what's this from? Uh, so what happens is students arrive, and in this case, like like our founder, that student arrived, and they're like, sorry, we didn't receive your payment. We've dropped you. Oops. Right? So Ouch. you're going on this journey from a foreign country to study somewhere, wired a bunch of money over, you're going to study, you get there, and they drop you because they say they did not receive your money. Yeah. Right? That's must, yeah. Brutal, brutal experience. Uh, and that was not uncommon Uh roll back 12, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, so what Flywire set out to do at that time was to solve that fundamental problem. Uh, the premise was uh, cross-border payments were broken and flawed, right? And so we set out at solving that. And, and what we've done is, and we started in the use case of higher education. Um, so what we radically changed in terms of our company is one, we have over the years built our own private global banking network. Uh, two, we make the transaction local to the student. So our, our mantra is the transaction is local in and local out. So now that student that's getting billed, say 10,000 USD, we actually do the conversion for them into euros. So we present the bill in euros as an example. They then do a local in-country uh, transaction. Yeah. Uh, it could be a bank transfer, it could be a local payment method there. So as an example, like in Brazil, Boleto, things along those lines. So it feels like I'm just paying my my friend, right? Yes, good. Uh, that then hits our, our global banking network. And then we take care of all the routing and all the conversion. And then we have local out. So then USD directly to the school. So the student pays in euros, but the school gets the USD in this case. Yeah. And we flow metadata with the transaction. So... 10,000 USD is billed, some conversion of euros, 10,000 USD settles with all the information about the student, student arrives, they're happy. And Brilliant. school owes a student pay. Um, so we've expanded that all through all throughout the world. Uh, we have over 2,500 uh, customers running our, our, our payment platform. Uh, we then have extended that into healthcare uh we do and uh, we're both domestic and u.s and and international healthcare transactions and and then we're also in um we use our core cross-border platform for what we classify as like high-end luxury travel so it's one of those i'm going to do a once in a lifetime trip uh you know like made for spain as an example uh it's going to cost me twenty thirty thousand dollars but i want it all curated right so they're high value high complex transactions there's what's called the host agency, which is kind of the travel agency. And then there's the destination management company, which is doing all the curating of the trip. Uh, everyone's got to get paid appropriately. Everyone's got to get paid uh, correctly and with the right information about the traveler and, and securely. And so trying to make that payment as frictionless and as affordable and as convenient 
uh, to the person and, and reduce the stress that's already come along with the healthcare event is our key things that we focus on in, in uh, Flywire. Yeah, fantastic. I can imagine this uh, really, I, I've actually had a really bad experience of moving money abroad as well. And it, and it was really painful and got really stressful. So, you know, well done to, to all of you and the team for kind of making that life easier. And uh, another thing I love about uh, what, you, what you describe here is disrupting the market. It's solving a real problem and disrupts the market. What's the waves that it's kind of created in the market? Has it caused other providers to kind of uh, get their act together or are you, are you still kind of sitting in that space? Yeah, so uh, we, we were really innovative in this space, right? This cross-border payment specifically were, were broken uh, and we are the first to, to innovate it. And more and more people are starting to look at this space, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and, you know, as, as the world becomes more global, right? Barriers are breaking down, you know, people travel more, less, less the pandemic. But, uh, you know, students are studying abroad more. Companies are doing more, more uh, international transactions, you know, the United States has some of the premier healthcare institutions in the world. So there's there's destination healthcare. There's people like I want to go to the Cleveland Clinic because I need heart surgery, and they're the best in the best world, in the world. That, right? Yeah. And uh, and so um, so we've really innovated that space, and you start to see people trying to to get into facilitating and making that payment process better. So it's great we're leaders, and it's great other people are getting in. You know, because if we all compete, it makes everything better, which makes everything better for everyone else, and we all we all improve along the way. So. That's brilliant. That's a really enlightened view, and I, I love that. So uh, well done to, to solving that problem and making lots and lots of people very happy and uh, not having to stress, because I imagine uh, moving to a, another country and, and going on a course it's stressful enough, you know. You don't need to add to it. Life's complicated enough, as we say in the in the UK. Um, yeah. So, so coming on to yourself as a, as a leader, as a tech leader, what's the passion that really drives you? What makes you jump out of bed in the morning and go, "I've got this"? Yeah. So uh, when I'm gonna I'm gonna get on a little soapbox and use the word passion. Uh, yes. I, I believe purpose is a better word. Uh, so. Yes. so- so to me, passion is is an emotion, right? Uh, where purpose is, I am committed to doing that. Uh, so so my purpose is is really what we do, uh, you know, in making educational dreams come true. Mm-hmm. Like I look at that in on the education side, like our platform allows international students or, or allows a student to go get their dream education, whether that's here locally, say in country in the U.S., whether that's abroad or whether it's an international student coming in. Um, you know, Flywire at its core really solves affordability for education and ease of payment. So I get passionate that every day when I get up, I am helping someone achieve their educational dreams. So. Excellent. And, and I'm curious as to what mechanisms you have to kind of learn new challenges that come up because we're in an ever-changing world. And I yeah. imagine in some respects, some things are going to change and new problems occur. What's your kind of feedback groups to, uh, as a company to know and as a tech leader to know this is something new that we need to solve or we can do better in this area? Yeah, so I'd say one of the things that we're really great at as a company um, and, in, and in the markets we play in, we really engage our customers, right? Uh, and we are constantly working with them to say, what problems uh, are you facing? What what problems do you foresee? You know, like I said, the one thing we know is we don't know it all. And so we rely on, on our customers. Our customers are, 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 you know, we have two customers. We have the, our direct buyer, which is the educational institution or the healthcare system. And then we have their customers, which are, end up being our end users, the student or or uh, or the you know the patient, as an example. So we're constantly talking to both parties, 
you know, so what can we do to improve challenges or help solve problems that are facing higher education as a whole, right? And improve processes. And then we talk with the individual students and families, what can we do to help them with their, their processes? So it's really done through constant outreach and, and research with, with our customers and clients. Yeah, you've really got your ears to the ground kind of thing, you know, and I love companies that do this. We spoke to one CTO where they actually created a, a discussion board. It was in the kind of airport in the airline industry, and they created a discussion group uh, where they were able to then kind of uh, share ideas between themselves, the different competitors. But the idea was as a service that they needed would then kind of emerge from the discussions kind of thing. So that's, yeah. that's brilliant. And, and we do that. We have what we call our FAB, uh, Flywire Advisory Board, and we get large groups of educational leaders together or healthcare leaders together. Yes. Uh, when they even start to talk, they, they they surface ideas that they maybe wouldn't surface directly with us because we can't always engage them in a, quite the peer conversation. So yes, yeah, that's 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 really interesting point. Yeah, getting peers together because there's a different conversation there. People get it. You know, there's a, there's a common language uh, and what have you. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Now, coming on to your leadership then, um, how, how do you roll as a leader? What's your style? Sure. Uh, I would say that I classify myself as a servant leader. Uh, and that, that can mean different things to different people. But uh, I view myself as, as I work for my team to help them to be the best at which they can be. Right. Um, I push to encourage diversity of thought through my teams. Uh, so when looking at a problem, I think you need multiple viewpoints uh, to, to end up at, yeah. at the right problem. If you only have one lens... Yeah, you may solve it, but it's probably solved very narrowly. Uh, it's not not solved holistically. Um, foster others to lead. Uh, so I try to grow grow the team members. We we work on a on a no ego uh, model, and that we win as a team. Um, and I'd say the other thing I think is you know, all teams run in the challenges, whether with customers or or whatever, or when things get hard. You know, the the saying the rubber meets the road. Uh, I always like to tell my team that when things are really difficult, I'll be the first to step on the battlefield and I'll be the last to step off. Yeah. So like I'm going in with you when it's hard and I'll make sure every man and woman's accounted for when we come out of that. So. Brilliant. I love that. I'm, I'm really interested in this no ego model as well, because uh, I'm going to put my hand up. I, I've got a bit of an ego uh, in certain contexts. I mean, how do, well, how do you kind of approach that no ego model? Because I love that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's it's not easy to do, right? I, I admit it. I've got an ego, and mine mine creaks through now and then, right? Uh, <laughs> conversations. Uh, but we work hard to to make sure that you know that we win as a team. That that's a key thing, right? And don't let your and it's hard to not let your ego get in the way. Um, my head of product actually does a really good job of this around Hollander, which is is we're developing because uh, I oversee product as well as engineering. Um, is when we're designing product, he only allows someone to go so far with the product design until we, uh, before he starts writing all the use cases and stories. Because at some point you get committed too much and then your ego begins to get in the way and blur a solution. So we yeah. will take something so far before we then to begin to debate it as a time because your ego is still, still not totally bought in uh, or totally told you haven't committed as much, which minimizes your ego. Uh, so we just work hard to, to be aware of that uh, as an organization, keep each other in check if, if someone gets a little egotistical and, you know, just raise it in a nice way. Like, hey, don't let that get in the way of, of thought uh, and, and winning as a team. So Love it. I love the idea of being really open about it. because This is one of the things you find um, in certain circles that we don't talk about the things that are in the space. Yeah. But the ego is in the space, you know, it's just kind of, let's have a talk about it. I'm feeling really egotistical today, you know, and, and yeah. it's going to be my way or the highway and please help me with it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. it's making the team and everyone aware of it. Like, I'll do it. I'll say something. I go, yeah, that I go. I'll go to stick in that statement, and I'm okay with that right now. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. And. And being a tech leader, and being a leader in general, but a tech leader as well, because we've got lots of kind of uh, multifaceted kind of uh, challenges. What's the thing that keeps you up at night? What, what's what's the thing that's playing on your mind? Yeah, there's there's a lot of things, but I would say right now, um, you know, in the space we're into, security is is paramount for us, right? Um, so we we you know we move uh, high value transactions, a lot of information, a lot of data. So security is at the forefront. Uh, that's one of the worst things that could happen for a payments company is, is a, is yeah. a so people trust us, uh, to make their, their transactions successful. So that's key. Um, and you know, it's just, and it's hard, right? The, the, the bad actors are almost always a step ahead, no matter what you try. Right. Yes. Uh, they, just, they just think differently. Uh, that, that's a big one. And I'd say next right now, that's been keeping me up a lot is, is, you know, attracting and retaining top talent. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's really hard in the market right now. There's a lot of competition, uh, you know, and I think, you know, with the pandemic and the shift to like work from anywhere, you know, now you can live in Iowa and work for Facebook, uh, right. And then have the cost of Iowa, which is cheap to live, like get paid Silicon Valley wages. So it's really created a different competitive, uh, market, uh, for, for attracting and, and retaining talent. And, you know, we need top talent and that we focus on that as a company of, of getting the best of the best. So recruiting them, keeping them, nurturing them for the long term uh, is, is something that is hard to do, and especially with our growth. Uh, we're growing very rapidly as, as, a, as a company and yeah. uh, just trying to consume the amount of talent we need is, is, is a challenge. So. Yeah, that, that's um, yeah, yeah, the people kind of thing. It, it makes me think because uh, I, I come from a software engineering background. Is to kind of go back to software engineering because I think you know it's, it's a good space to be right now. But uh, don't tell my boss that you know. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and then coming on from your kind of leadership uh, and and you know uh, making sure that you're nurturing these kind of mini leaders, uh, bringing people up. What are the things that you do to kind of create these high-performing teams? I mean, what's the scope, the size, the scope of your leadership? Is it teams of teams, or is it? Uh... Yeah, yeah, teams of teams. Uh, so my entire organization, which is product and engineering, is north of 175 people. Wow. Uh, so we're we're pretty big, uh, and so we're we're broken up into. Um, we're, we're, we're evolving into more and more of a shared services model too. Um, you know, kind of the way to look at it is we've got a core payment platform that everything is built on. At the end of the day, there's kind of like a money in and money out. You can make life simple in terms of what we do. Um, and then there's verticals, the healthcare vertical, the travel vertical, the, the education vertical, and there's teams within there uh focused on the verticals and there could be sub teams delivering various components within that so cool uh, so yeah that's how we're structured uh you know we run you know just to promote leaders and to continue to promote things you know um we do a fair amount of hackathons just for fun yeah, oh, uh, yeah. Um, you know we'll we'll run something where you know we shut down kind of doing core work for like three or four days and say like, go, let's go do a hackathon. And part of that has also helped drive ideas. Like where could we get efficiency gain? And if we made this change in, in a product or if we added this new thing, what would it be? So we will run that. Uh, we invest heavily in education and training, leadership training um, programs that we have to, to grow people. People can raise their hand and say, I'm an IC, but I want to grow into a manager and we'll start to put them on to a track to do that. So. Brilliant. Yeah, that's, that's great. And really kind of looking after your people. And, 
um, as we're kind of, you mentioned a second ago, you know, the teams don't need to be kind of co-located as much. And obviously COVID has kind of uh, accelerated the concept of working from home uh, to, to the nth degree. One of the things that I'm always curious is how people manage the communication working remotely, because obviously if you're in the room and you're in the same building or you're in the corridor, you know, there's another kind of level of efficiency of communication. How do you deal with that? Yeah, so that that is the one thing that you did lose a little bit is kind of like the water cooler chat, right? Uh, when someone, you know, it, it, it is more easier to quickly turn to someone and tap on the shoulder and go like, I'm stuck on this. Can you help me get through this problem, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so that did break down a little bit, um, you know, but I think we've worked our way through that and people have got more comfortable. You know, we, we overly rely on Slack now. Uh, yeah. as an example. So uh, a lot of people have, have broke through that in the beginning, the first, you know, four to six months, people were slower to, to like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bother TC because he's not right next to me. You know, yeah. um, I think we've worked our way through that. Uh, we did a fair amount of uh, through that period to, to promote that just quick, quick gatherings. Like, Hey, let's get together for 10, 15 minutes as a team. Anyone got any questions? Anyone need help anywhere? So we did various little things to try and stimulate, like it's okay to reach out and, and connect. Um, you do you lose some of the whiteboarding aspect. That's been a bit of a challenge, but um, you know we've we've got through it like everyone else with Hangouts and yeah. Zoom. Find new ways to do it. And, and what about the levels of communication? Because so are there any tips that you've got around making sure that the the information is going to the right people? Because I imagine there's a lot of information communication going on. Some things you need to know about, some things you don't. And I'm really curious as to how people deal with that. Because I'm going to be honest, I struggle with that sometimes myself. Yeah. Um, let's see. So. You know, part of in terms of part of our process that we try to do, and, and I'll correlate it to, you know, our communication is about what new product we're contemplating, what product we're working on, what product we're rolling out, ideas. Uh, we have a process in in our organization uh, that's that's called a build doc process, and it's where anyone can create the genesis of an idea, right? Uh, and then it, it flows through a various process and, and what happens is you start to tag and pull people in. So like <clears throat> the idea may involve marketing, it may not involve marketing. So marketing will get pulled in if necessary, security, compliance, all kinds of areas. And, and that becomes the, the form and the core communication of how we track this through. And then it comes to a decision point for us. Does it go forward? Does it die? Yeah. Uh, so we've used this, this this internal process that we call our build doc process uh, that that keeps everyone engaged. They can follow that. I can like I could be an outside observer of it. I may not be a partaker, but I have interest, and I can follow that. And I'm notified of all the communication events and changes that are going on with it, so I can see what's happening. So that's great. I, I'm always fascinated with how you know as you get large teams as you've got, making sure that all your kittens are going in the right direction. You know, what's your tips around that? Yeah. Uh, and I will start with alignment from the top, right? Cause that's always where, where things, uh, can, can be hard. Um, so within each of our core verticals, we have general managers or global heads of that, and we make sure that we've got a product leader that's tied with that person. So yes. our, our product leader of that area is always coordinating with that, with that global head of that vertical. So they're make, we're making sure they're being aligned, right? Of what of what product thinks we need to be driving into the market, as well as what that global leader thinks uh, they need to be uh, driving into the market. Uh, so make sure we get alignment at that top level, because uh, if you get that correct, then things kind of can can trickle down. If we we misalign at the top level, we're already in trouble out of the gate, right? 
Yes. We work hard to get alignment at the at the top level. That product is is is, is totally in sync with uh, with with the, the global leader of that that area. Uh, and then in terms of coming on down the rest of the way is is we we have a product roadmap that we have for the entire company. Literally, you can go in. Uh, it's not anyone can go into our roadmap and you can see everything that is in flight and that we're working on. Um, even if it's not in your area. So, cause it's important because we, we have a shared services component. So there are cross cutting things. Mm. So you can see what may be impacting you or not. And everyone, everyone can see the entire product roadmap and how it impacts the, their vertical and what's being worked on within their vertical. And then we do, uh, you know, we, we constantly do standups and meetings further, further down the org with the teams and making sure everyone's aligned with what we're working on and how that aligns with the vision of Flywire. Uh, and, and, the, and the problems we're working to solve in the market. Yeah, great. That's, that's brilliant. And and one of the topics that comes up with tech leaders quite a lot is, uh, and you kind of mentioned it, you're distributed teams, is the augmentation of teams, um, a mixture of contractors outsourcing uh, certain projects or insourcing people into your teams, uh, people from other organizations wearing your jersey kind of thing. What's your kind of thoughts on that? Uh, very timely question. So, uh we are starting a journey of augmenting our teams. Uh, so historically, we have everyone's been. A, uh, we call our our, our staff flymates. Uh, so we, we one of the things we learn is we put fly in front of everything. Also, oh, wow. uh, so, so a, an associate is a flymate. Uh, all of product and engineering have always been flymates. Uh, and but as I had talked about, like as it's getting harder and harder to compete for talent. And for us to be able to keep pace that we we do, we have started the journey just this year of doing staff augmentation. Um, but we're not totally, I wouldn't say like we're, we're writing specs and throwing it over a wall. Uh, we're working with groups and we're trying to, you know, they're not flying mates, uh, but we're making them feel like it. And they're, we're making them part of the team and part of the process. So David, I'm really interested in also your perspective on organizational growth. What are the foundations for growth? Uh, and obviously being in a company that's doing very well and growing, what what would you say those foundations were? Uh, you know, having a healthy culture, right, is really key. So you got to make sure your culture's right. Because um, if, you know, if you don't have a good culture, adding more people to it, trying to grow it is not going to lead to to anything great. So you got to make sure you got a strong culture. Um, you got to make sure that you've got a good career path and ladder. Uh, for people, right? When when someone comes in, you know, they want to know how they're going to progress, right? And not only progress within being an engineer, but what are my requirements if I no longer want to be an engineer? And can I, can I jump over and do something in business development or some other area? And what are those requirements? Um, so we've been actually going through a pretty uh, rigorous process this year to redefine what, what our ladder and our growth paths are for people so that they have that vision yes. uh, and know where they can go. Um, and we've also been working hard to uh, allow people to grow as an individual contributor and not have to become a manager to make more money, right? Because a lot of people say, like, uh, I want to make more money, but that means I got to be a manager, but I don't want to be a manager. That, that's your typical mindset, right? Yes. Uh, so we've created a way like, hey, you could make managerial level uh, income, but still be an IC if you go along this path. Like, you don't need to be a manager to, to, to generate more income. So we've been working really hard on, on providing that again as a foundation for, for people and building the right the right culture um, and, and making sure that we got the right right cultural fit uh, uh, for every person that comes in. Not every individual is a 
candidate to be a flymate. Yes. Um, so we do want diversity and, uh, and inclusion, but we also want the right mental attitude uh, yes. in terms of our organization. That, that allows us to grow and, and scale appropriately. So. Excellent. I love this term, flymate. That's, that's brilliant, you know, kind of thing. You've you got to be one of, our, one of my flymates kind of thing. And what are the kind of common pains that you see uh, in, in trying to grow? Because as, as growth, there's going to be growing pains of some sort. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just, you know, as an example, uh, we have hired uh, roughly 136 people this year. Wow. So That's a number. Yeah, that's a number, right? So consuming them and making sure that the cultural culture doesn't deteriorate, yeah. right? Even though you're doing all these things to do it, when you ingest 136 people, uh, that's hard to do, right? Uh, and so making sure we've got the right onboarding process for them to get them uh, accustomed and, and, you know, and to make sure they feel uh, valuable, right? That and even though we've hired 136 people, I don't want them to feel like they're one of 136 people. I want them to feel like they're the only one. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so working, working through that is, is, is hard. So that's, that's the growing pains is just doing that then being able to scale, uh, which is all part of scaling, making sure that as we add and layer and <clears throat> more people and more teams, uh, that they're, they're also autonomous enough to tackle their own things. But back to what you said, uh, autonomous enough to tackle their own things, but get the vision and the strategy and, and are in alignment with where we're going. Brilliant. I love it. Yeah. It's, uh, I always find it fascinating as companies grow that some things I imagine get easier, but some things definitely get harder, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yep. And it's not, it's not always done, right? It's an orchestration. You're, you're constantly moving and adjusting it, right? Yeah, not, yeah. hey, we, we've solved it all. Uh, you've solved it maybe before the hour. Just wait until tomorrow. <laughs> just yeah. wait until tomorrow, you know? Yeah. And, and are there any engineering challenges you're facing? Because I, I, um, I imagine we haven't talked about the technology behind uh, the, the solution that you're providing. Are there any challenges that you're facing? Uh, you know, I'd say what we're facing, uh, they're not, I would, you know, everyone's got challenges in their own way. Uh, we've been doing some, several acquisitions over the past few years. Uh, and I would say, you know, integrating the tech, combining, and there's been overlaps of platforms, right? Yeah. So yeah. you don't always, you know, there could be a case to run two platforms. There could not be a case. So making those right decisions, combining platforms, leveraging, getting the best of both uh, out of that acquisition. So I'd say that that's that's probably one of the challenges is going through the acquisitions that we've gone through, merging platforms, making sure that we're keeping that culture too, right? Ingesting that, that group. Uh, you want to, you know, at that point, you don't want to just quid the flywire culture on them. You want to also pick up some of their yes. cultures that made that company unique as well. Uh, so you kind of got to graft the, the two cultures together and, and make sure no one loses their own identity, but we have this new better identity. So yeah, I love that cross-pollination, kind of um, creating a, a new version, you know, kind of thing, an upgraded version. Uh, I used to love that, working at various companies, from company to company, you'd kind of pick up these little things and you think, oh, that's pretty cool, actually, or, or we might want to try this. Um, so as we're coming towards the closing arc of the podcast, unfortunately, I, um, I'd like to ask you some questions around um, tips for aspiring leaders. What tips would you give to aspiring? If I was an aspiring leader, what would you say to me? Yeah. Uh, so I'd say, you know, keep in mind that if we're in technology and, and we're technology leaders that we build and use technology for other people to use. So keep the users in mind because our job is to use technology to make someone's life better. Yes. Right. 
so don't always do technology for technology's sake. Uh, so make sure that what we're solving, we're solving the real problems, uh, helping drive real value and outcomes for someone. We're making their life better in some form or fashion. So I'd say, you know, keep a focus on that and just not doing tech for tech's sake, but make sure yeah. we're solving a real problem. Um, I'd say, you know, we're at an amazing pace in terms of how things are, are evolving. Uh, and so feel free, just jump in. Don't let other people hold you back. Uh, you know, like I did, like, you know, I went from being an IC to saying, I'm going to do a startup and be a CTO. Everyone said I was the craziest. Uh, shouldn't do it, but don't listen to them. Go forward. Uh, you know, uh, don't uh, uh, just push, push for your dreams. Uh, yeah. You will make mistakes. Uh, you will have failures. Um, learn from them and grow. Don't let them beat you down. So. Yeah, love that. That's great. Just keep going, you know, okay. uh, be, the, be the fighter kind of thing. And th- are there any kind of books that you've read or any any things that you've watched which have been gateways in your development that were were gateways? Yeah. Uh, so in terms of, you know, uh, books, uh, like I love any book by Malcolm Gladwell, like the yes. tipping point, things like that. Like love his stuff. Uh, the No Rules, uh, the Netflix book about like, like, you know, because as we're growing, I was like, are we just this insane sometimes at the speed and all this? And then you read that Netflix book, you're like, yeah, okay, the rest of the book is <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. It's all right. We're not abnormal. Um, and I, I loved uh, the book, of the, the Elon Musk book. Uh, those are some of my, my favorites. I've, I've not read that. So I'm going to add that to my my list of books, you know. Um, brilliant. Thank, thank you for sharing this. Of books, uh, one of my favorite, uh, you know, adding, you know, you're one of my top podcasts. Uh, another yes. one is, it's by Stanford. It's called the Entre- Entrepreneurial Thought Leaders uh, series, and that's a really good podcast too that uh, that I like to listen to. So. Brilliant! I love to, I love to listen to that as well. It's always good to uh, see the competition, you know. But yeah, the, the idea is that we there's different lenses on on the kind of subject and people within yeah. it. So that's great. I think there's some great great books there. So I'm going to add them to my list, and I'll come back to you and we'll compare notes um uh on on my learnings you know kind of thing and if i was a i'm going to pretend to be a tech genie for a second i'm going to offer you a wish uh for your tech leadership what would that wish be sure uh so i'm going to probably extend it here and try to get two out of you but i'll say <laughs> my first one's more of of i would put albert einstein steve jobs elon musk and larry ellison in a room and see what they come up with. Uh, so <laughs> those are all my, my technological heroes. So uh, cool. I think those are some of the best and bright minds. And like, what if those guys did a startup? Like, what would that be if they were all together? Yeah. Um, uh, but but seriously, I think for me is you know technological responsibility uh, is is that we all get better at that and and are are better at it. That's what I want the genie to help solve. Yes. You know, as we're here today, we're all gathering massive amounts of data, right? More and more data is being captured on people uh, and that we use and manage that data responsibly and secure it. And I'll even go to, you know, have a high interest in AI and robotics. So the responsibility for the future, like I do think there is a ton of power in AI and robotics that we are going to be unlocking. And I'm concerned about will we use that power appropriately? Yeah. Uh, and that that genie guides us on that journey and keeps us uh, responsible. I will see what I can do. In fact, <laughs> right. we might have a seance with the with the leaders. Well, some of them are already still here. Some of them are. But, you know, we'll kind of get them in the room together. <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. And, and there's a final kind of key takeaway, a gift to our tech leader, men and women out there. What will be the final words as, as we say goodbye? Enjoy the journey. Love it. Great yeah. note to finish on. Thank you very much, David. It's been great having you on board, sir. 
All right. Thanks, TC. Enjoyed it. Have a great day.